Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. And it's that time of year again when I get Netflix for about two months and watch everything they've produced over the entirety of their year. Yeah, do you think, well, Bardo, <clears throat> or does that include, like, well, Bardo's we're already included. in that window. Yeah, we're, we're in that window. I got it in November. I've already canceled it. I have it until January 30th. <laughs> I did three months this year. Nice. Uh, so I have watched everything that needs to be watched. Well, not yet. I've watched everything, but I've watched, you know, a good chunk of the movies that need to be watched. I'm sure people do this. Like we said in the uh, lost recording that took us a minute, you asked, do you know do you think <laughs> a lot of people do this? And I would say, I would say yes, maybe not for the movies, but certainly I think people probably get stranger, like for when Stranger Things yeah, comes yeah. out or you or when Squid Game season two, if Netflix doesn't cancel that show because they cancel all their TV programs. They probably get it for like the month that they need it and then they unsubscribe. To, to just destroy a show and then they just... Yeah. Which I'm sure Netflix loves because it, it, fucking it's $21 a month now. Do they love it? Or are like when they see you sign up for three months, is somebody somewhere looking at that and just like sighing deeply vague, shit. Well, no. Like, I, you can't what I like spent, sustain this I stuff. gave them $63 to... I mean, eventually they'll just produce smaller amount of content. Or Do you think there's somebody somewhere... Package it together. That is tasked with like just like providing justification for giving Noah Baumbach the amount of money that it cost him to make white noise and that they are like ghosting the person they have to report those numbers to because like they just know that it's not going to be probably not it's not going to be enough definitely a person who's in charge of deep faking Jenna Ortega into all the existing uh, Netflix original property. There's definitely a someone who's in charge of. How, do we, this get, is not in, how do we get Jenna Ortega and Beast of? <laughs> how do we get Jenna Ortega into literally every single aspect of the internet all the time forever? Is literally my my whole news feed is just like Kevin McCarthy things and. Like, oh, I, thought gonna, I thought it was going to be Kevin McCarthy speaking yeah, on Jenna Jen, Ortega. No, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is a thing about Kevin McCarthy trying to do the dance, trying to do the Wednesday dance. And and how and him just talking. Jenna Ortega punching Matt Gates, <laughs> thwarping past some Republican, and just getting the uh, knock in. That'd be great. It would be. I mean, Disney well, no. Her. To be fair, Could he be would anybody knowing what we know about Matt Gates, he'd probably pay good money for. He's she's too old. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. She's much yeah. too old. Yeah. Allegedly. Fuck that shit, man. <laughs> If the, you know everyone, talk, no, we're not talking about politics. Mario, <laughs> let's drink beer. Okay, I've, you brought the beer this I week. Donuts, donuts. Oh, they do a Neil's Donuts beer, huh? Yeah. But do you if you had Neil's Donuts? I have many times. I was gonna bring some today. Oh but my they're not, god! They're not open on Mondays. Holy bully! Yeah, I was gonna get Iron Brew for our first movie, but then you said I watched it yesterday. While um, we'll just say intoxicated, <laughs> which it, well, it was, but you know. Differently intoxicated. So yeah, uh, this is a um, this is from Front Porch in North Haven. It is a ten percent ABV. It is an imperial stout brewed with donuts, cacao nibs, caramel, and coconut. Did you get this because of the fact that she looks like Trunchbull? It does look a lot like Trunchbull. Well, well, donut person. But on it the also front. looks like a Ren and Stimpy. But character. she also has pigtails, so right. not Trunchbull. Pink. No, I'll be back. Pause for one second. We are pausing for one second. There you go. Good. Restart? Mm-hmm. So, 
Apologies for that pause. I had to run downstairs to grab glasses, our fat orange cat snifter glasses. Just because, you know, 10% uh, stout requires that. And man, it poured out like syrup. It's, and it is dark. Oh, and it smells. Yeah, it smells heavy. That's really good. But oh boy, is that heavy. That's like oh, yeah. 100,000 calories. But it sits like yeah. in your mouth like a pastry. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it spreads out. It's definitely a do- that's definitely a donut beer. Yeah, it's good. It is good. Yeah, it's really good. Good work, Front Porch. All right, we got a lot of work like to do That seems like a donut. Today. Yeah, we do. <clears throat> uh, we've decided, we talked about Netflix. We're doing all Netflix movies, Mario. It's not even been like, Bardo, yes, but like, the last couple of weeks have just been full of Netflix stuff. There's been a there's been a movie basically every week. And like one of the one of the, one of the five movies we're reviewing is from a few months back. It's yeah. from October or early November, mm-hmm. I believe. But the other four films have all released since Christmas week mm-hmm. and above, right? Yeah. So we had we have Glass Onion and Matilda releasing on Christmas week. Mm-hmm. We have. White Noise releasing on New Year's weekend. Yep. And we had Pale Blue Eye releasing this past weekend. Yep. So they just pounded it all in there. And you know, Tom, have this beer tasting quite brec- uh, quite quite desserty. Makes mm. me think of a, it doesn't really taste like a chocolate cake, but it makes me think of chocolate cake. And that should makes just me sing think a song about how you should drink that whole beer. About, yeah, B R O R O O C E. Oh, Bruce. Is it roomier on the inside? Yeah. Uh, is Matilda. This school is full of rebels. Yo! What is your name? Matilda. Matilda Wormwood. Matilda Wormwood. Criminals like you need a real lesson. See if that child is still alive. So Matilda the Musical is a film adaptation of the 2011 West End stage play done by, um, most notably, I think, Tim Minchin, who did it, who he also did, what did he do? He did Groundhog the Musical. Did he do, uh, did he do Lord of the Rings? Or no, the director, I think, of this did Lord of the Rings the musical. Um, you know, <clears throat> stage musical stuff. Like they do in London um, And it's originally based on the 1960s, I believe, novel, uh, children's novel, Matilda, by... Roll Dow, as people like to say, Roland Dow for some reason. Roland? Yeah, a lot of people say Roland Dow. They just put, put that in there. Um, this is just a musical adaptation of the Matilda story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it tells it basically <clears throat> by numbers, the, the things you expect from Matilda, the aforementioned chocolate cake eating from Bruce, the chokies, your telekinesis, your everything else, um, <laughs> except now 
under the package of um, musical. So if you've seen the Danny DeVito 1996 version or you've read the book, oh, God. you know what to see. You're not a fan of the 1996 movie? I, I, I watched <laughs> no. it quite a bit as a child, but uh-huh. I, I stopped watching it, so I can't speak back to how I felt about it. But I do know as a child, um, and it came out, you were what, like two, 13, 14. 14 when it came out? Yeah. I was 10, so. Yeah, I was in, yeah. Stri- I was in Tommy Boy, was, Black Sheep. Like I, I watched those quite a bit, but it was right around the perfect age for me to kind of enjoy it. And it mm-hmm. had kind of like that that weird, aloof goofiness of the Danny DeVito movies mm-hmm. that he would come to do. Um, I mean, he'd already done with Fro Mama from the like Train. the bear. And would... Remember the bear? That, he did the bear? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking more of like Death to Smoochie. He'd later do with Death to sure. Smoochie and whatnot, which I can't remember. Are you a Death to Smoochie guy? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Let's, let's start with you. You... I think mentioned on the podcast your opinions about Matilda the musical well, so a few I mean, weeks ago. You're not a, a fan of the musical we itself. Can, yeah, so there's a whole there's like a whole big thing. I can I, I sort of wrote like a quick speech in my mind like of how I would address this because um, I'm coming at it from like a bias in a certain way. I am not a roll doll guy. I'm like I've never liked anything that I've like read, seen has been adapted. I I don't get it. I don't I also don't care. I don't find it scary or interesting or anything. And then on top of that, he's an anti-Semite, which doesn't, like, make me want to go back and, like, dig into it and, like, try to find a way in. I mean, he imagined Charlie has a little black boy originally, so. Oh, well, nice. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah. <clears throat> um, but my daughter was really into the musical, and so I... Um, and I, I think, I don't know if I just... Did I mention that you had seen it? You had not seen it. I had it. not seen the stage yeah. play, you know. Um, and she was really into it, and um, I just... Found the musical atrocious. I, I think the song train wreck. Uh, I, see, train wreck. I think is different. I think it's aspiring an assault to the ear. No, I'm because an assault can think, be good. Think of a good new term. It's just it's so. How I would describe it is that this musical I think aspires to be a bunch of other stuff. It aspires to be very British for one. It aspires to a kind of but it has that TARDIS line Python esque like. Um, absurdity, absurdity, but it also like it has these these um, lyric runs that are just too fast to be sung or really understood. And there's like a real insecure. And so this is going to play into my like opinion of the movie too. There's a real insecurity to the musical. Like it just wants to be profound so much, which is not to say that there's not some nice melodies in it. There are, but there is also school song, and there's also like the middle of revolting children. And there's also, yeah, I'm not a big revolting. You know what I mean? Fan. And it's just, it's just trying like the so beginning hard. Of revolting and there's children. all the Trunchbull songs. Um, it's just trying so fucking hard and you can feel that. And I hate it. And then, but, but Mario, and maybe not, but this fall, my daughter was in a production at her middle school of Matilda. The oh, musical. Right. I remember you. And so this. she plays lavender. Um, that's a juicy role. It was, well, it was. And, one of the things is, and I was talking about this with my wife today, one of the things about this experience for me with the movie and this is that the I, I dislike the musical, but there's something about when you're watching a bunch of 7th and 8th graders do a production um, and how like into what they are and all this other, and you know, how happy they are and how much effort they give that this movie, like watching this movie, which is, they did like the same thing, doesn't like cut the mustard like this is so this feels so insincere where that felt so sincere that production my daughter's production cast appropriately um 
a man, a, a, like a boy, a man in the lead, in the role of Trunchbull, like you're fucking supposed to. And this cowardly casts Emma Thompson, who I think she thinks she's being very funny. Oh, he's supposed to cast Trunchbull. I mean, you know, Trunchbull's a woman in the book. Yeah, but they cast Trunchbull. At the, I mean, it's always the 96 a, movie did the same. What? Did a woman. In the no, no, but like the musical, Trunchbull's always been played by a man. Um, the like originator on on in the uh, West End, Carvel, you know what I mean? Uh, Robert Carvel. Yeah. Um, so there's this kid Jacob who like performed the ever loving fuck out of the role on in my daughter's production, and Emma Thompson doesn't even get close to the personality, to the charisma, to anything. She's Emma fucking Thompson. This movie, if this movie did not have Stephen Graham, just chewing scenery with his big huge front teeth. Andre Risborough, who I joked, probably did like a month of some kind of immersion into something to get ready to like to do this part. She drank vodka on a toilet seat. <laughs> something. Or Lashana Lynch, who I thought was very, very good as Miss Honey. Um, this would be would be like I, I couldn't even handle it. So you're not even like a Alicia Weir fan. Like you didn't think she did a good job. No. And I but it's it's just it's too much. In like so, you said talk about revolting children before, when Bruce like burst open through the doors and he's like on the thing and they're just like marching. By the way, I think they CGI his that that child actor's legs because oh like I moving. Looked, no, I think I think they try to make him look shorter than he is because I think that that actor is normal proportioned. Oh. They definitely. I remember watching that going like, is there something wrong with this kid? But then like rewatching it, just feel like just watching regular footage of him. I just think they just did some stuff. It's possible. And that, but they're definitely just, wearing like a fat suit. It's just, it's, and well, that's another thing. Like just cast a really chubby kid. Like let him do it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's hyster- The movie is not like hysterical. Ha ha. It's hysterical. Like we need to be interesting all the day. And so we need to have a separate co- conversation about like choreography in modern movies, it's just too much. Everyone's doing too many things and there's too many cuts and there's too much movement and it's just chaos all the time. Chaos. And this movie is Have you seen Paddington chaos. 2 yet? Yeah. Okay, and you liked it? Yeah. Okay. But the, they're not dancing like this. No, no, of course and not. And they're not doing like quick there's cuts. Cor- there's a lot of choreography. But they're not yeah. doing like yeah, insane no. cutting and stuff like that. So it was, I found it to be very unpleasant. Um... Just go get a DVD copy of my daughter's production, and that's that's it. I was not a fan. Well, we're going to be talking about this movie later in the year, is all I'm going to say from my point of view, because I loved it. I I I, I respect the fact that it's very saccharine um, and just very on the nose with everything. It, mm-hmm. it is trying too hard um, at times. It is... Uh, the musical numbers are over choreographed, but I don't know. Hit the right headspace. Hit the right headspace for me yeah. to like just be smiling at the right moments. Um, some of those those music numbers that hit hit right for me. Uh, quiet. I think that quiet part is like done well. It's timed well. I I love love school song just because like I do I love I love the choreography of school song and it blows my mind reading some reviews that are like oh we didn't realize what they're the intent of what they're doing with school song it's like halfway through the alphabet and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about they center a immediately then b and c and it's like it's very clear what they're doing if you get to k and don't realize with cage like 
you need to stop reviewing films. Well, uh, that's a different conversation. We will talk no, about it that later. But <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, I agree that this movie is trying a lot. It's trying very hard, but I think it tries in a way that works extremely well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it is ultimately a kid's movie, and I think a kid watching this might be like, I, th- I feel in general, I think it's a younger kid's movie, especially. Mm-hmm. I think it's built for like six, seven, eight-year-olds. Um, it I never think, tries to be very scary. It's very colorful, very vibrant, very bright. Well, so they, I think that's right, because I think a nine, a, like a seven, eight, nine-year-old looks at like the chain monster at the end and is kind of like, oh. And then like a 12, 13, 14-year-old is like, I just watched Wednesday. I don't care about this. Yeah, exactly. Or like an, in the finale, the very goofy school now being having the carnival rides. And the, right. Whatever. The uh, air, hot air balloons will find that to be hokey. And it is hokey. But I think there's a real attempt here. There's a lot of work being done here. And I think it's just fired on all the right levels for me. I just wish it had... I wish I, it had I, the one thing I'll really disagree with you is I think Alicia wears really good and really solid in this. I think she hits the, the emotional notes. Mm-hmm. I think she understands kind of like the assignment thing. I th- Well, and so maybe that's a, maybe that's another question, Mario. Is that I, I'm, I'm part of my, um, I think, resistance, not, not resistance because that makes it seem like there's something wrong with me. Um, is that like I just don't I don't get Matilda like as a character I don't think she's a very good character I don't I don't think so either I, um, I, I'm I don't I'm, know what the, I don't know what the assignment is I'm in agreement with you that Roald Dahl is not a particularly exciting writer I read Matilda I I read all of his shit as a kid um, I was more in an Encyclopedia Brown and Phantom Tollbooth mm. sort of guy as a child uh, Phantom Tollbooth still like one of the best children's books Oh and uh, The Adventures of Frog and Love Frog and Toad. Yeah, Adventures of Frog and Toad or Washington Irving. Those were the things I read more as a kid. Until eventually my mom was like, you're 11, you can handle Stephen King. I, look, I could. Um, I never got either. I, I find Roald Dahl to not write to children. I find Roald Dahl to be an adult writer who just happened to have children's stories but wasn't actually writing for a child. Mm. Um, he has much the same issue that like J.K. Rowling has. And look at that. They're both problematic, awful human pieces <laughs> of shit. Um, the fact that they were just writing adult stories under the guise of children. Yeah. But I feel as I like the 96 version and I like this version because they play up that candy, that candy cane, cotton candy fluff around it um, to the nth degree. Both of those movies kind of do the chocolate cake to like a really extreme level and they make the smart choice of taking out the kid Bruce getting his head smashed in with a fucking platter like they mm. do in the book. Like they just kind of like change it to like, oh, go to the chokey or, oh, everyone gets detention. Yeah. You know, like <clears throat> these movies, the 96 version and this one play definitely towards children. And I, you know, it's, it's I, I don't know necessarily how much of this is, is the movie I love, but like I would say I like the music. I like the Matilda. I'm not, I'm not a huge musical guy. I guess I am because my best picture winner last year was a musical. Now this is going to be in like my top 10. Unless like imagine if you had two musical best pictures in a row. <laughs> it's this isn't my number one, but it's it is in my top. It did knock out Batman. The Batman is now no longer. Oh, that, top hung, 10. that hung out hard. It did. Been a not great year. Um, there's something about it. There, there was just it hit the right tone, and it was trying hard, but I think it succeeded in a way where it never lost sight of being for kids. And mm. I like that. It never 
tried to be too mature for its own good. It tried really hard, but it stayed the course. I will say, though, it's not my least favorite movie that we're going to talk about today. Oh, absolutely not. So, so there you go. That's something. The other thing, I'm not... I'm not this is my favorite movie we'll talk I'm about I'm not today. mad at it. I just, I just um, was hoping for more joy and a little more personality, and I didn't, like... I didn't get it in some of the choices. This is your second least favorite? Yeah. Okay. There's some of the choices that they made are um We both agree on our um, least favorite. I'm sure. Just based on I think we probably disagree on our second and third least favorites. <laughs> you will you'll be shocked when you find out what my second favorite of this this bunch is. Second favorite? Yeah. I probably won't be because it's probably my second favorite also. Oh. Um no. but before that, we gotta, we're gonna go to uh France. Mario, how, the, how do you not know this isn't my second favorite? Is it your second favorite? No, absolutely not. No, because I just oh, you fine. what you said was kind of made me think like, oh, this one, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that one. <laughs> um, ba- you should have been able to tell what we're going to talk about based on my <laughs> is in my finger wagging. It is um, all quiet on the Western Front. Wieder mehr als vierzigtausend Tote allein in den letzten Wochen. Es ist vorbei. Im Namen der Menschlichkeit, ich bitte Sie um den Waffenstillstand. Vous avez 72 heures pour accepter nos conditions. Ich werde nicht kapitulieren. Meine Mutter wollte nicht, dass ich in Krieg ziehe. Ich wollte Ihnen zeigen, dass ich das kann. Ach, Paul. Ja, um nach Hause kommen. Schließen wir Frieden. Ich habe Angst vor dem, was kommt. Du musst jetzt tapfer sein. Für die, die es nicht geschafft haben. Für uns alle. Um, it's ni- primarily 1918 uh, in this movie. It is the end, um, just about the end of um, World War One, which doesn't mean that there's any less terrible things happening. World War One is, I find, is like under discussed, and like the more I kind of look into it, is like I can't even fucking believe that it happened. Do you know Allied troops were still firing mortars and rock like rockets into, you know, whatever. In, into German forces, do you know the re, like up until like ten fifty seven a.m. Do you know why they did that? Because so they didn't have to take oh the, the stuff home. home. Nice, a little different from like <laughs> why the Germans went and did anything. Um, you know, at the end of this movie, <clears throat> um, Paul, played by Felix Kammerer, um, enlists. He wants to make his dad proud. Him and all of his other friends enlist. He's not even 18 yet, but uh, he, you know, forges his parents' name. This is on, uh, his debut, too. Yeah. He uh, forges his parents' name on the document, and he is able to enlist. Guess what? He finds very quickly war not super fun. Yeah. 
not a super good time. As Fallout would say, it never changes. And that, change, <laughs> and that never changing is never changing from being good. Um, this movie is adapted from the uh, classic novel by uh, Eric Maria Eric Maria Remark. Um, it is directed by Edward Berger. Um, well, I'm not familiar with his work. I'm not either. Um, I will just say kind of how you felt about Matilda. I feel about all quiet on the Western front. I thought it was saccharin, but like just like the right amount of saccharin that make me <laughs> the music is yeah. Um I fucking loved this movie. I loved every goddamn like horrible second of this movie. Um I thought there was like so many things to like um just like behold and, and marvel at and not even just for, like from a like a like a standard like a filmmaking perspective. I I think there's there's like a little too much made when we talk about like cinematography, like because it's so easy to compare this movie to 1917, and 1917 feels so cheap. Compared. Yeah, we're not we're not 1917 people. No, but it's just I mean, like so Roger Deakins is like a hero, whatever. That movie feels so like like gross compared to this because that movie seems so like considered for beauty, and this movie seems so considered for like viscerality there's this a mix of that and a mix of like tedium too but like the tedium i think is the tedium for me works and i think the 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 final thing i'll say before i kick it back to you is that i think this movie clarified some things for me that i was feeling about this year in film which is this film aspires to um poetry and what i mean by that is that it isn't like lyrical per se it doesn't have like the words that it uses aren't um, necessarily expressive in a way that poetry is. It's not about the words. It's about like the feeling that like poetry creates. It's about trying to tap into um, like expressing the kind of like unexpressible, making that like a, a, like a legitimate feeling that you can kind of get at. And I think this did that, not necessarily for war, but like, cause that's too easy. But like when you say about the tedium, like what it must kind of feel like internally, not just to be in war, but to um, like have to like you know, interact with like human, like other humans in the context of war, interact with yourself in the context of war. Um, and all of like all these, all these like aspects of it, um, like that, you know, um, production design and the makeup, like especially like what they did with mud, but also like just big stuff like the acting, the performances, I think really kind of um, nail that stuff. Um, hard. And again, this is one of those movies I wasn't expecting to like, I didn't go into it thinking I was going to love it. I was just like, I saw it and like people have been writing about how it's like maybe going to be an Oscar contender, like all of a sudden. And I was like, Maybe we should just do this. Make it. We'll just do five. You know, you threw Matilda in there, so we had five Netflix movies. You know, let's do it. And I came away with like a, a pretty um, profound, ex exciting, profound experience. And this has been the movie I had been excited to see for quite a while, but was pushing off. And you had kind of been slightly indifferent. To I wasn't it, I interested yeah. at all. I had no use in my. War, you're not a big warrior. No, I had. Movie but guy. That's the thing. This movie reminds me a little bit. Definitely not in execution, but in how it makes me feel about. Um, apocalypse now you know what I mean it's definitely not apocalypse now but it aspires to the things that apocalypse now 
was aspiring to, which is not um, a statement on war per se, but a statement on the visceral, like sensual, tactile experience of being in a place doing a thing, like and feeling those emotions that come with that experience. Yeah, and I, I, I'll, I enjoy this quite a bit. I don't have a huge love for it. I, I still prefer the 1930 version. Um, but but, they're, they're, but I, it's, it's almost weird because I almost don't feel this is all quiet on the Western Front. It is telling the same story, but I feel as though the book and the 1930 version are kind of like about this hopelessness and this like huge anti-war message. Um, you know, when Paul yes. dies in, in the original, um, you know, Cat dies by being carried off and he just is killed while being carried. And Paul dies literally just looking up and like lifting his head up and being shot in the head by a sniper. Mm -hmm. um, he dies much more dramatically here with kind of this visceral sort of masculinity almost in the end. Um, you know, the reason why it's called All Quiet in the Western Front is that's the final line of the book is, you know, it was such a boring day that they say, because he dies in October, I think, in the book, instead not of the Not on the last day. day. Yeah, yeah. And it says like it was such a nothing day that, you know, the only report was All Quiet in the Western Front. Uh, but the thing I appreciate about this movie is, and I, and I say is like, it's weird to call this all quiet in the Western Front. Is this movie to me, similar to you, what you say, the viscerality of, you know, of war and that experience is kind of the banality of, and juxtaposition of, of the war experience between those who are in charge and uh, those who are kind of living it. You know, we start this movie off with a bombastic, um, sort of declaration of what it means to serve and yeah. like serving your family well and whatnot. And it has that anti-war message and recut it against, um, you know, Daniel Brühl's uh, playing uh, Erzberger character of like doing the armistice and also um, of, of the general who's like had that 50 years without war. Um, and then you have that really anachronistic line that's famously from Orson Welles where he says like, you know, the man is born alone, lives alone and dies alone. Like mm -hmm. that's a line that won't be said into the zeitgeist for like what, 20 to 30 mm -hmm. years. Um, because this movie feels more modern than that. It feels like a modern kind well, of argument kind of about war instead of being necessarily just purely anti the banality of war. Well, it's yeah. about like what war means for different people. Uh, the scene I really like is when Hertzberger's taking the like pissing and accidentally pisses on his foot when the train stops and he yeah. looks outside like nervously and it's just two dudes smoking. Mm -hmm. And that's cut across of the artillery fight in the, in the beginning and like um, the glassed friend that Albert, I mm -hmm. think, uh, got getting his leg blown off and killed in the first day. You know, it soon takes place soon after that. So you got this person who is in charge who has been making the decisions of war and, and kind of dealing with that versus the people and realizing kind of like what the, the pointlessness and the bureaucracy of war is um, versus those people who have been fed the lie. Sure. Um, and so it isn't necessarily to me all quiet in the Western Front. It's just a World War I movie. It's a framing of a, of a modern war movie with World War I. So it's interesting. I was looking at this movie less as... I know about... Well, I know it's a World War I movie. All quiet in the Western Front. I know about World War I, blah, blah, I actually related to this movie more as something like white material um, than... Just to backtrack, yeah, I watched Stars at Noon. Still don't watch it. It's horrible. People love Stars at Noon. Though. Why? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. It's just people that like don't watch Claire Denis movies because it seems like so I many people, people prefer Claire Denis' other movie more, though. So. 
Oh, both sides of the blade. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I was. I thought that was fine too. But oh, Stars at Noon was just. It seemed like someone tr- just trying to make so a clear to me. I can skip it. Oh, definitely yeah. skip it. I mean, we could talk about why you might not want to skip it after. Um, but yeah, it was. I was shocked. But again, that's I love Claire Denis. I looked at this movie. Speaking of Claire Denis, I looked at this movie as like a white material. The the details of World War One, like anti war. All Quiet on the Western Front adaptation didn't really mean a whole lot to me. This seemed to be about um, a person dealing with a thing. And the person happened to be Paul, and the thing he was dealing with happened to be being at war. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, so it's it, it, like the, those, um, the context of those things or like how close it got to a source material or to like a reality... Uh, like didn't really matter to me, which is one of the, I mean, like the very modern soundtrack I think is fucking awesome. No, I, I love it um, too. But it's, and I I think that helps. Especially like when it first, what, it first kicks in like right after the battle started. Well, I you just don't. Like, bro, bro, bro. No, it's, it's, it's not electro- even before it's that. Like it's like when they're driving to where they're going. Like that, yeah, they're right. driving it's, to it's that town. Synth, it is a synth score. Sure. Yeah. It's like, and you're just like, what the hell is that? I even like I turned I it know up. Skrillex did the score. Yeah, <laughs> it's, what was uh, Danger Mouse? No, what's Dead Mouse? Dead Mouse. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be awesome. Especially if he's like on screen. If he's just like just with his fucking like <laughs> Dead Mouse helmet. I actually might like it even more. Oh, I would. But I don't, I don't know if it's possible. But I really, um, I love. I mean, I just think it's. I just think it's great. I think it. I think it hits all. I think it hits all these buttons. I think. I think my biggest issue with it. I, I think it does hit the buttons for me too. My biggest issue with it is those wars. Those actual battle scenes feel a little flaccid, and they don't have the kind of intensity I want. Um, it's 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 hampered quite heavily by the CGI uh, throughout. Um, so the, so so some of the moments were like they stumble upon the body in the tree. That was great for me. And they're like, oh, is this who we're looking for? And it's like, no, it's been up there for a while. And I think somebody says, like, not funny or you mm-hmm. know, whatever. And like, that struck me as to having that kind of dryness of humor that, like, Tim O'Brien's um, Things They Carried. The Things They Carried. When talking about, like, the angel, yeah. like, floating up in the air with the grenade after the guy kind of explodes. Mm-hmm. Um, it had that to me. And, like, I think those moments where you get the practical sign of effects or just kind of like aftermath of death sort of thing. Those work really well. But in the moment of battle when everything is, when it's very clear, right. it's fake. Well, so that's so I kind like of, I would have preferred there just, just sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, bad. But just finish my thought. Like the thought there, I would have preferred you don't see like blood and all that in those war scenes. And you just get the, the shots, people falling, mm-hmm. the mud and the, you know, the practical kind of squib explosions. Yeah. You know, cut out the cut out the CGI blood. Cut out like when he, he bashes the guy's face in, and it's like very clear an after effect overlay of the guy's face going in. Mm. Like it just that takes me out of it. See, that doesn't that stuff doesn't bother me because you have the moments where like the tank rolls over the trench and that guy is like screaming for his life, like he's like terrified about like this tank rolling over mm. this trench. Yeah, that's the real shit. Or like suffocating the guy who's like talking. Right, and like then seeing the picture of like the wife and child, like that's the real. Yeah, that's, those those quiet moments of, of violence and those quiet moments of terror work, but they're just kind of for me they were kind of undercut by these, and maybe because like it has that kind of veracity and that realness to it, 
at times. Um, that you know, it just like it was like, oh right, I'm watching a movie. You know why it didn't do any of that stuff for me? Because and I thought about this when I was watching it is because that wasn't the point. No, and not that you're saying that it is the point, but I think some war movies, for some war movies, that is the point. The, for some war, war, war movies, Ridge. it's <laughs> or just like. 1917. You know what I mean? Some for some war movies, the point is the is like the spectacle. But for this, it was the spectacle was just a means to get you to the spectacle. Always got you to this really tight moment of people, like you know, um, together just trying to like process. That's the thing. This movie is more about processing than it is about anything else. Well, I agree. I, I think. I think. I like it quite a bit. And the reason it kind of sounds like I don't, but I do, but I like, obviously no, put I, it above, I, I, I put it above something like 1917 or I put it above like your wind talkers or whatever those bottom. Yeah, I get things. it. I get what you're saying. But I, I guess I'm being critical of it. Cause like I would compare it to something like, like saving private Ryan or something like platoon, which is able to then incorporate like that kind of real horror and violence. Um, with this like real, blood and grime and viscerality and then also incorporate those moments of stillness and fear and being in the muck. And, and so what I'm saying is like, this is definitely a top tier level yeah. war movie. It's like an A tier, not an S tier, but like it's, it's, we it's were, the reason I'm being sounding more critical Yeah, just because um, it is almost there, but it just kind of just misses. See, it. it's funny because I thought about Saving Private Ryan also, and I have kind of, a little bit come to feel like Saving Private Ryan's like a little bit of manipulation and I kind of resent oh, it for absolutely, it. Absolutely. So like this movie never bothers to do a Caparzo. I just got to save the girl. I just got to do it. It doesn't do any of that stuff. There's no Matt Damon speeches in this. There's no like, you know. Um, yeah, and there's. There's no, there's no um, framing don't, device. I was going to say, don't mention the very BC scene because that scene fucking weird. No, no, no. There's no like, <laughs> no, there's no like Jeremy Davies like trying to kind of like it's not Jeremy Davies processing the war. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all mannered and shit like that. It's like someone who's deeply invested. He's not looking like Jeremy Davies is just looking and then he has to do some stuff. This guy's like, I want to go do some stuff, but that's not even about like the, the, like he finds that like, it's not as heroic as, as he thought it was going to be. I'm not sure he, he thought that it was going to be, not that it was going to be easy, but that it was going to be this thing that he could go like an activity that you could go, you could go do something. In but the thing you, yeah, and the thing you go do is die. Yeah. And or the thing you do is the thing you do is not die. Like that's that, what you do. Uh, uh, I, the, the thing I guess that, that that was really kind of a bummer for me in this movie. And once again, it's like, I still put it like in the top tier, is the fact that that first scene, um, when they are uh that first scene when they My are, daughter made this for me for me for Christmas. Nice. <laughs> Uh, that first scene when Albert is like losing his shit and pounding his head against the wall while they're being bombarded. Yeah. And the guy says like, oh, it's the quiet barrage or whatever and it just means they're advancing on us. That is fucking a masterclass yeah. scene. I just feel like the, the there's moments of that later on in the film where it happens in spurts but then some of the other like battle sequences or some of those other quiet sequences kind of like don't have that necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so those highs are really high and the lows aren't low, but I feel, I would agree with you that I think Spielberg manipulates quite often in, you know, saving private Ryan because he realizes those highs are high and then he doesn't want there to be lows. So he creates like this manipulative thing 
which in the moment feels fine. It feels like it's just still at that high. Mm-hmm. And it's not until later you go like, oh, well, that doesn't feel authentic. Mm-hmm. But like has an experience, it carries all the way through. Mm-hmm. Whereas this kind of like has those highs and then it's just like it, it, intentionally. I don't, I don't, because I don't think it's meant to, it's, it doesn't want to do that. It doesn't want, it does want to like kind of like juxtapose what war really is. You know, it's not constant highs like that. So it's an intentional, but it makes you kind of, as you're watching it, kind of feel those lows and kind of feel that, that when like a battle sequence comes around that's a little just meant to kind of like convey, move the plot along or move things along, um, they become noticeably artifice to an extent. I guess so. Um, I just, and I think, but I think there's perhaps an intentionality to there because I think the really, the key scene is when Kat and Paul are sitting on that toilet and he kind of tells him like for the first time about his having a dead, his child dying. Kat tells him about his child dying and you can tell that like that means more. That's affected him more than like whatever's happening with the war. You know what I mean? And I think that's a thing that Spielberg wouldn't do because Spielberg's so black and white. He's just like, war is the worst. You know what Spielberg The also- worst thing is war. Yeah. And, this, and in this movie, it's like, to this guy, you know, the worst thing was was that when his child was dead. And, no, war is definitely not as bad as that. Or, no, and, and the same thing I think that Spielberg wouldn't do, um, and I think is like one of the best scenes in this film, is, is, is Tajin, is that you say his name? Mm. Um like the worst thing for him is being a cripple afterwards yeah. and just fucking unrelenting, unrelentingly just stabbing himself in the throat yep. with the fork. You know, like when he says cutlery and you as a viewer go like, don't give that guy. Like you do know, not give him cutlery. You know what he's going to fucking do. And just like him holding the, the, the fork because he gets like the, the spoon at first. He kind of looks at the spoon and he's like, you know, he wishes he had got a knife instead. <laughs> and he looks at the fork and it's just like, oh, Jesus. And then like they turn away and then the thing that makes that scene great is just everyone else who's injured just kind of like shuffling around annoyed mm-hmm. by the sound of these people crying. Sure. Like that's what's that's like shit that you wouldn't see. Because like it isn't the war. I mean, the war causes the injury, right? He might die from it or whatever. Um, but it's just the, the aftermath of what might come of not being able to be a ranger, of being an invalid. Right. Um, a 1920s invalid. Um, Which is... Not existing, Basically. essentially, yeah. 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 Find the same thing in 2022. Um, especially if you're in the military. And you're, who you're talking about is your government. Um, yeah, and I think those are, like, those are the scenes where it's just like, fuck. Like, those, that, like, I almost wanted to, like, turn the movie off after that scene for a good reason. It was just the fact that I was just like, oh, man. That's, yeah. And that's what took me, I mean, three months to watch this movie. It's because I was like, I need to be in the right head state. And you said, like, we're going to review it. And I was like, okay. Well, I guess, I guess I'm in the head. I guess that's now. not going to yeah, happen. Yeah. Um, I apologize. Yeah, and it works. It works, though. I don't think it's, like, it's not as despondent in a lot of ways that I expected. Um, which I thought was kind of, like, weirdly nice. So, you know, I like. It has that, that kind of, like, weird. I don't want to say hopeful ending, but the fact that, like, Paul's able to save that, like, little kid who then takes the. Um, the Franz's scarf and all that was like yeah. kind of like a weirdly like oh it's weird yeah not it's not hopeful but it's like what is it you like you're just kind of like what is it it's not as absolutely utterly empty as the book is right which is you know like fine. this this kid I lived. think the books I think the books a masterpiece yeah but 
You read the book. Have you read I the book? Know. The book isn't hard. I'm not a war guy, so like it's. I did a Vietnam phase in like my early twenties. Well, I'm a war it. guy, but I'm just ex- I'm like vehemently like anti-war. So I get into war stuff because you hate war. I hate war. Yeah, yeah. except in Fallout. <laughs> it's a good video game. Then war's good. Um, how do we tie Fallout well, to our, th- our? No, no. You, what you tie it into, Tom, is what do you have to do? What do you have to do in war? What do you? What do you? Where do you serve? Especially if you're in America. You serve maybe in the Navy. So maybe, maybe in the maybe, Marines. Maybe you go to a military academy. Maybe. Maybe. If, especially if you're in the Army. Where do the Army people go? To see Timothy Spall. Yeah. <laughs> Doing a pretty good American accent. Yeah. Timothy Spall is great in this. And like, like the little that he has to do. Um, and in this, we mean Scott Cooper's The Pale Blue Eye. Captain! Up here! There's a body! Down, down, down came the hot, threshing flurry. Darkest night, black with hell, charnelled fury. Leaving only... Deathly pale blue eyed. Somewhere deep in the vaults of a Culver City studio, an hourglass ran out. And that hourglass runs out every 10 years, and it demands a little bit of blood. <laughs> and that blood what is. This? is a film adaptation of either a murder mystery about Edgar with Edgar Allan Poe or a Jack the Ripper um, adjacent murder mystery. You know, 10 years ago, we got The Raven. Remember Ten The Raven? 10 years before that, we got From Hell. 10 years before that, we got something. 10 years before that, we got that H.G. Wells, Jack the Ripper mystery uh, time traveling movie. Oh, yeah. And here we are again with Pale Blue Eye about a retired detective, Ang, you know, Augustus Lander, who's living in retirement uh, near West Point Academy. And he is, I don't think it's West Point yet, right? No, it's the it's military academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's still called just the United States Military Academy. I don't think it's called West Point. I just think people call it West Point. Oh, it's that's on me then. Also, I didn't realize West Point was in New York. I've always thought it was in Maryland. Mm-hmm. So apparently we're close to West Point. Yeah, I, I my um, cousin used to live in Cold Spring, and you could just kind of walk down there. Oh. It's really nice. So all those military academies, it's like two military academies, like sandwiched in between two military academies here. I mean, we're high above them, but... Yeah. No. Anyways, there's been a, a murder. Somebody's uh, been strangled and had their or their heart removed, uh, and Lander is kind of tasked with, with searching uh, this murder, and... Um, in doing so, he listed the help of a young cadet, Edgar Allan Poe. What? Why? Really, no reason why it's Edgar Allan Poe. I thought there was that was gonna like tie in. Just it does, is doesn't he just likes to write poems, and that's the I guess that's the one part they're like we need a poet for this. Uh, so you know, Landor, who's struggling with alcoholism, as every detective in all any of these movies is, our drug abuse. Opium or alcohol, yep. like in The Raven or From Hell. Love it. I'm telling you, these movies have to happen. No, they do. 
10 yeah, I didn't realize now, it. I, you know what I'm putting down right now money on? I hope 10 years from now remake these remake a movie. Are we going to base it on an no, original thought? Check this out. Jack the Ripper and Dagger Allan Poe. We're doing it. We're going to do both. We're going to get John Cusack back to play Edgar Allan Poe from The Raven. I think he's too old. Nope. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Jack the Ripper is going to be played by... Henry Melling can come on board as Jack the Ripper. He'd be great. Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff happens uh, like, like it does in these types of movies. Um, Edgar Allan Poe's smitten with, uh, with Leah, who's suffering from seizures. Uh, her brother is a high-ranking West Point cadet. Her father is the physician, Toby, Toby Jones. Good old Toby Jones. He's looking, he's looking normal in this movie. He looks... He always looks slight and kind of like plump in a lot of his movies. Like he just yeah. looks, he looks like an odd fella. He's always got that capote thing going for him. Yeah. Here he just kind of looks like a person. Yeah. So I was like very happy about that. Like Timothy Small also always looks weird, but Timothy Small just looked like a, this movie did a good job making people look like just people. Like except for Henry Milling, who looked like a goddamn scarecrow. But he, if you put a mustache on him, you're just like, oh my god, that's Edgar Allan Poe. That's true. That's where you that want really at the true. end of the movie for him to just have a mustache. It just grows after the yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just like, <laughs> like as he's talking to Landor. So eventually, it turns out that that Artemis and, and Leah have been doing this like kind of blood sacrifice with body parts and are going to sacrifice Edgar Allan Poe so that Leah can be cured of his seizures. But they didn't commit the murders. No, it was Landor himself. Because, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Because uh, his daughter, who we've talked about throughout, who we kind of seen throughout the film, was a. Uh, was raped by uh, Fry, who was the initial victim, um, and by Ball- uh, Ballinger, Bollinger, Bollinger, and by the other guy, the third guy, um, who was also killed. No, Stoddard ran away, right? Stoddard ran away. Yeah, Bollinger was killed though. Yeah, Bollinger and and Fry were killed. Stott, and also a sheep. Yeah, he's like, I'm too tired, but I just hope he always lives over his shoulder. Um, Poe's like, I figured it out. And Landor's like, you could just do whatever you want. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. Poe's just like, fuck it. Just like, go fuck yourself. Uh-huh. And Landor's like, I guess I'm okay with my my daughter. I I, I let her, I, I venture. I like this. Me Why too! It, it's, it, it reminds me. I watched it. I just saw the, like, the reviews of it being like, oh, this is like, oh, this is so stupid and more by the numbers. But like, that's what works so yes, well about. Mario. It's so ingeniously by the numbers. I was watching it, thinking of The Raven, which I... Don't enjoy that much. Um, I was I was going into this hoping it was Dante Club, mm, the, the uh, yes Matthew Matthew Pearl Matthew Pearl novel. Yep. I was kind of hoping that. I was hoping like mm-hmm. you know we we're going to get Oliver Wendell Holmes to pop in and be like, "Let me investigate this murder as well, fellas." Yep. But that didn't happen. Uh, if I could if I could make a movie, that would be a movie I'd want to make. I'd I'd want to make Dante. I could just make Dante Club. That's what we'll do in ten years. We'll Is that Crown Poe in Dante Club? No, but we'll, we'll put him in there. Because there's like a series, there's like all everyone to hold. We'll just say Poe survived. And Matt, well, Dan Simmons probably definitely wrote some kind of Edgar Allan Poe story. Because oh, he did a Dickens story. Fair. So. No, but this was this felt like a lifted from the mid-2000s. It felt lifted yep. from your double jeopardies and your murder by numbers. It's better than those movies because Scott Cooper's a good, good director. And... You know, Christian Bale's trying here. Harry Melling just continues to be just like fucking like, I'll just be good in everything, I guess. He is. Um, even though he's ridiculous. Simon McBurney, who I love. I just thought we were talking to see Simon McBurney. He just like 
plays the same character every time. Who's Simon McBurney? Uh, he's the captain who's like who hates uh, Christian Bale. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but he's been what do I what do I love him in? I loved him in um, like he was great in Last King of Scotland. Yep. Um, he was in Rogue Nation. Is another thing I liked him in. Take Take Your Chair of Soldier Spy. He's just kind of like that guy. He's a, one of those that guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I enjoyed when when I saw that like they'd solved the mystery and there's 30 minutes left. Like when the movie movie began, I was like, it was one of those things where I was like, Christian Bale's clearly the bad. Like Christian Bale's clearly the guy. Yeah. No, there was <laughs> like a- when they talk about like how he was like struggling to survive, like, like his feet were on the ground. I kind of sat there and was like, and like you see Landor, Christian Bale's kind of response. I was like, oh okay, so Christian Bale's the bad guy. And you see like the plot. But it has those, that great thing, that thing I love from the mid-2000s movies of, like, there's 30 minutes left, but we solved the mystery. And it's like, but you didn't. There's going to be the, the turnaround, which is, like, the great sort of Agatha Christie or, actually, more appropriately, Edgar Allan Poe, because mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe would do this with uh, Dupin right. stories of just that last-second turnaround of, like, you think you figured it out, and no, like, there's a bigger thing. And maybe that's why they chose Edgar Allan Poe for this. I did, never read the book. Um, well, I think it's okay. I have to assume that the, somebody was probably researching something, and they're like, Edgar Allan Poe was at West Point at this time. And they're like, Oh, yeah, because it's, it's, it is based upon maybe this. a not, 2003 novel. Yeah. That yeah. I'm sure Scott Cooper read like on the toilet like 10 years ago at somebody's house and was like, Well, I'm going to make this, I guess, when I get the Netflix money. Um, Scott Cooper. And it has that great kind of like, it has that great 30 minute long finish, like 20 minute long finish of just like a guy explaining what really happened at the end. And it's because it's Henry, Terry Melling as Edgar Allan Poe explaining like to Christian Bale. Who, who fucking, like I respect Christian Bale for doing the work of being like, this is his movie. Yeah. And like, he's Christian Baling it when he's just by himself. But when Henry Melling pops in, he's like, and I'm going to let this be and his I'm movie. Out. Yeah. He's like, I'm just gonna support this kid. Yep, it was good. I I thought he did. This is I, this is my second favorite. Me too. Yeah, I it was again one of those things where I, I didn't expect it, and I was really it was a movie that made me really happy because it didn't want anything from me. It was well made. Um, I think people expected a lot more from this. I think so too. I think meant, people thought it was gonna meant, be an Oscar movie. Yeah, it's no, it's just meant to be. A it's just a, well, that's the thing. But this is what Netflix should be doing. They should be making more quality mid budget like. Drama, and thrillers, so, whatever. And, and I, I don't know how much free like reign they gave Scott Cooper because it doesn't feel like they gave him a lot. But I feel I'm sure they did. Yeah, and, and he, Scott Cooper is just like, yeah, I'm just gonna make a very by the numbers thriller that like a studio would have like paid me to do and told me what exactly to do. But I just know, I know the project, and here's what it is. Right. Well, that's and they were probably just like, just so you know. Uh, you know, this Noah Baumbach movie has been shooting for 10 months, so if, you know, whatever you need. And he's like, yeah, we're, we're done. <laughs> we did 22 days. Christian Bale had other things to do. What are you talking about? I had another, I had to go back to the toilet to find a new book. <laughs> I like how we're just beating up on Scott Cooper. We're but like, beating up on him. Everyone no, has to take a shit. I know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't find my next fucking $2 million I'm going to make on a next toilet. To his toilet, he just has like a pile of books exactly so. like this. I hope he... Dante Club is fourth. And I hope I hope he's about ready to get to it and yeah. then re-soup in and take it from him. No, there's a... Um, you're committing yourself, right? Yeah, If, if I get offered Dante Club, yep. you're going to co-direct my job. it? Yep, absolutely. Practical gore. Of course. Do you mean like killing people? No, I just mean like we're oh, going to okay. spend most of our money on... Yeah, my daughter can do the, uh, do the effects. 
She did a really good job with that. That disturbed me. Was, that was very gross. You sent me that picture, and I was like, why are you sending me a picture of, like, your... Like, I saw the first one, I was like, okay. Like, like I, saw, I saw the first one second. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that looks like makeup. But the first one you showed me, it's like, why are you showing me a picture of, like, somebody stabbed? <laughs> Look at her injury. And you just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, like, the, the bruising was so well It was well done. good. Yeah, she's been really obsessed with bruising. Um, It was good. It was... I thought it was, it was like, an enjoyable... Way to spend like an evening. It's a popcorn. Just, it's the popcorn. Yeah, part. and they don't make that many of these movies anymore. They do. Netflix doesn't make these movies. Um, and I, I, I hate when I say that. I'm so I'm sorry that I said that. I guess they do. I just feel like there used to be a Ninth Gate. Remember the Ninth Gate, that Johnny Depp movie where he's looking for the book. Oh, of course. I, I the Dumas. You know I don't talk. We don't talk about Ninth Gate. Why? Because it's a Polanski film. Oh, that's right. But it's exactly like this. Well, that's why, that's why I mentioned like From Hell. Yeah. Or I keep going back to Murder by Numbers. Murder by Numbers is fine. Or A Primal Fear. Sure. Primal Fear is a good one. Yeah. Or like, uh, what's another one? The Ninth Gate. No, <laughs> damn it. Um, <laughs> or no, like Devil's Advocate or something. Yeah, like absolutely. That. You know what I mean? Like some, just something... But this well, isn't cheesy. Devil's Act is so good. I love Devil's Act is great. Yeah. Big Tony Gilroy script. So Fucking identity. Identity. Yeah, identity. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I love identity. I love these types of movies. Yeah, they're me so too. much fun. They're so predictable, but they're like, they're reassured. They're, they're a good Sunday night. Too so high and eating brownies saying. and mint ice yes. cream. I did too much of that last night. Uh, not not weed, just mint ice cream and brownies. <laughs> um it's perfect for that. It's such like a chill pill sort but of. But it's thing. one of those things where. So what I would say. It's good that, to wash out the taste of a banel wannabe afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> ah, um, they menu. They. They do make movies like this, but remember, in like the mid two thousands, when you would go to the movies to see it, and you'd be like, "That was all right." Yeah. Now you just stay at home and watch it on Netflix, and you're like, "That was all right." Maybe even a little better because I didn't have to pay. Like twenty dollars just for this well, you one movie. Pay twenty dollars to Netflix for a month. But you got so many movies. Yeah, <laughs> fortunately you're subjected to other movies. Yeah, during that time. Uh, but no, yeah, that's that's what it, it doesn't aspire to be anything else. It is its color palette's boring, but not like boring in a bad way. It's just it's just is. What it just it is. is. It's like a Clint Eastwood movie, but like a, like a competent. Yeah. Well, like a Bloodwork era, absolute yeah. power. Well, Bloodwork is uh, that is the Jeff Daniels one, right? Yeah, that's his best movie. But that's but that's what I'm saying. Well, you know what I mean? Unforgiven is his best. It no, just, but it's not unfor- It's it's past prestige unfor- time. Well, I'm trying. I was trying to say like Bloodwork is probably one of my favorite Clint Eastwood movies. Bloodwork is very good. I almost said uh, Line of Fire, that I realized it's a absolute Peterson movie. Absolute Power is one of my favorite. What, Murder at 1600, not Clint Eastwood, but But also very vein. good, yeah. same thing. Absolute power is better. Where's, what did I just hear, Wes? Oh, because my kids are watching Community. And Pierce keeps picking up his phone thinking there's a black guy on the other end, but it's just his, his iPod and he's listening to the Wesley Snipes autobiography. <laughs> read by Wesley Snipes. <laughs> and I was like, oh man. Are you a Community guy? No, I way. hate that show, but it's, no. it is, there are some jokes in it that are just like, that's a good fuck. Like, I, that's a good stuff. I, I'm, a, I'm a community Dan Harmon guy. I like I'm that. not a... So my whole problem with community is that I, I fucking hate Joel McHale. I cannot handle Joel McHale in that show as like much. He's the lead well, my, of the show, and I hate My it. love of somebody overwhelms my hatred of Joel McHale. Can you guess the person? Abed. 
I like Dan Putty. I like I like Danny Putty. No, <laughs> Jillian Jacobs guy. Yeah, you gonna watch the Seven Faces of Jane? I watch whatever? like you know, almost everything she does. Oh wow! Like, not only is she like she's top, fine. Not only is she like one of the actresses I find to be like the most attractive actress in Hollywood, mm. but like I went through all three seasons of Love just because she carried that shit. And she's like the funniest part. Her. Donald Glover and Danny Pudi are the funniest part. And uh, Vet uh, Brown yeah. um, are like the funniest parts of that show. Yeah. But Joel McHale, I just can't handle. You know what Joel McHale... Chevy um, Chase is probably the worst part of the show. See, I'm okay with Joel McHale because I was a soup guy. I love the soup too, but he's not an actor. No, he's not a good actor. I think he thought because he worked out a lot that he's like, I'm, he's a good, I'm he's an a good, actor now. He's a good host. He's a good host, yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a good personality. Smug, he's just not an actor. Smug ho- he, he'd be like, you know, if he took over for James Corden, I wouldn't be upset. Oh, that's a possibility. I'd be fine with that. That's yeah. a good plot for him. Yeah. I think they should you know, replace... You know warming up to? Seth Meyers. No. We're switching. Oh, no. We're switching gears. Yeah, we gotta move on to Glass Onion. Ladies and gentlemen. This is it. You expected... The mystery. You expected a puzzle. But for one person on this island, this is not a game. Will you explain it to us then, detective? Mystery start. You know, though mysteries are fun. We like this is a very Dupin s mystery, and we're also talking about Christie s mysteries. And I think, with that said, probably the biggest Netflix release of the year. It had to be right. This was the biggest. Next to Stranger Things season four, this was their biggest. I think so. Yeah, biggest movie. Uh, it is Glass Onion, I, a Knives Out mystery. Even though Ryan Johnson was like, "I wish it wasn't called oh, Knives Out." Stop mystery. it, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, Benoit Blanc is back. He has been um, played by Daniel Craig. He's been invited to. Um, he's been played by Daniel Craig. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's been played by Daniel Craig. Been played by Daniel, uh, in the past. He's invited uh, to an island by Miles Braun, who is a uh, Elon Musk stand-in, some kind of like tech dick, um, for some kind of weekend getaway with all of his shitty friends, played uh, by Kate Hudson and Catherine Hahn and Dave Bautista and Leslie Odom and, and also Janelle Monet, who is uh, Andy... Who everyone's like? Why is why is Andy here? What you doing here? And we find out. Oh, I'm not gonna tell you why. <clears throat> we find out. Spoiler alert: that Benoit Blanc wasn't invited. How did he get here? There must have someone must have reset the little puzzle box that opens the movie. And and 
By the way, they're there for a murder mystery weekend. Sure, but just I guess they do this every year. He gets this group of douchebags together and they all hang and out. It is and set during 2020 in the beginning of the COVID. So Ethan Hawke shoots everyone in the mouth with some kind of vaccine, which is like my favorite scene in the movie. When Ethan Hawke just gets out of the car. <clears throat> um, uh, and they, so they're in, on this island for a murder mystery. Lo and behold, someone gets murdered. Who did it, Mario? Who did it? That's what Benoit Blanc has to solve. That's Glass Onion is, is all about. And we'll kind of dig into some of the other plot wrinkles as we as we talk about this movie. Um, I, I don't know what I want to do. I feel like I'm confused. Because I watched this. God, I just keep saying this. I watched this really high <laughs> in theaters. Uh, I, took, I took an Uber. To, um, I feel like you're going to listen back to this and be like, I need to make different choices. No, I'm good. Not that I'm saying you have to. I'm just saying, like, you've said that you were high during, like, every one of these <laughs> movies? No, I wasn't high. What's hell do you? Pale Blue Eye, yeah. All Quiet on the Western Front, no. No? Okay. This, I, I've seen multiple times now. So, But the first time I went to go see it, I was hungover. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, I don't want to be hungover. So I took a couple of edibles. You do what you gotta do. And then I took an Uber to... The Post Theater, which is a $20 Uber, very expensive. Like, I watched it, I was like, that, that was fun. I enjoyed it, I laughed. Um, and uh, then I rewatched it, and I was like, this is fine. And I feel like I'm taking a lot of crazy pills because everyone loves this movie, but I still kind of have the feeling that it's just fine, um, which is a bummer, especially because I rewatched Knives Out, and I still really do love, I don't love Knives Out. I really enjoy Knives Out. Um, I thought Knives Out was clever. Yeah, I think I Knives Out's really this clever. Is clever at all. Yeah, no, I think this thinks it's clever. And like, I'm a Ryan Johnson guy. Like, I I like sure. most of Ryan Johnson's stuff. Um, you know, bricks on list. This is a uh, this isn't clever. It thinks it's clever by saying it's not being clever. Like the entire murder mystery is set by it, it being stupid. Um, yeah, which is like, look how lazy. stupid he is. It's just, it's lazy. And it's a bummer because like there's some really good stuff going on here in terms of like Janelle Monet acting her ass off during the twist of where it's revealed she's actually... Um, Andy's Tr- sister. Andy's sister. Uh, Tr- it's not Trudy. Uh, Helen. Um, Andy was murdered yeah. by Miles Braun. Yeah, who's just... Edward who wants Dorn to just, maintain like control of this company. Edward Dorn is just kind of being... Like, everyone says, like, Edward Norton's doing such a great, like, overacting job. I think he's being lazy. It's, my it's late. I feel like so many of these people, I I, I really like Dave Batista. Sure. He's, 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 he's I, having fun. I, I like him. In he's fun. having the right sort of fun. But he also seems like he's being very lazy. It he seems does. like he's not trying really very hard. He doesn't seem like he's trying hard, but he seems like he's having fun. And Madeline Klein seems like she's having fun. And Kate Hudson seems like she's having fun. Who, but I, Janelle Monae seems like she's having fun. Every, like Catherine Hahn would rather just realize this. She has to do this to get both Catherine Hahn and Leslie Odom Jr. are just want to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, they're both like we made a mistake. Yeah, they're both like we thought this was like a Jamie Lee Curtis or a Michael Shannon level or like you know like Keith Stanfield Michael Shannon level role like a Michael Shannon or Don Johnson level yeah. role man yeah. or the fucking kid from It level role. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, but it's it's just it's not it's, it's just, not it's, it's it's dull. It starts out well. It starts out really, I think until they get to the island, it's fun. 
Like I so I so this is interesting. Can continue because so, I had the opposite experience. So I do enjoy the entire aspect of like the puzzle, like figuring out the puzzle box together over Zoom. I, I love the dumb joke of Benoit playing Among Us with a <clears throat> bunch of people who sure, are that's great for mysteries with you know, Sawdime and Angela Lansbury, I guess like in their last roles. Yeah. That's unfortunate that their last roles were on Zoom for this movie. Well, and so it bums, doesn't Natasha it bum- Leone was... So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote for Veronica Mars, I but guess. So Natasha Leone's going to be in a detective series sure. on Peacock. Oh, okay, so that's the connection. And Stephen Sondheim just always hosted mystery, like murder mystery parties, apparently, in New York. That's like his... The Angela, Angela Lansbury thing is the only one that doesn't fit. Where yeah, does she come in? Sense. I don't know. What does she have oh, to do with it? You know why? Mm-hmm. Because of the mystery of what makes those pot- meat pies so good. <laughs> How are those meat pies so good? I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I enjoyed that part because, like, it had that kind of hokiness, but, like, like that, that, that joke where Helen, like, Helen just, like, they play the game and Helen just fucking bashes it and, like, it stays there yeah. for a while of her just bashing the mystery thing to get to it. Like, I thought those that was clever. I thought that was a good, that was a good But then the movie just keeps, turn. like, going and, like, the fact that the turn of... The, the setup of like how's Benoit ended up on the island and Helen talking about it is half the fucking movie. I sat there just going like, yeah, I know. It's, Edward Norton. Like I sat there going like, looking at going, so Edward Norton's the killer in the very beginning and going like, he clearly killed that guy with pineapple juice. Or it couldn't have been anybody else. Yeah, like you so see, the, you the, see, like they make a point of the glass. Like I don't know, I never watched back to see if the glass switch is shown earlier, but like I was like, he gave him pineapple juice because they make a big, you know, sort of Chekhov's gun thing with like um, when he's shooting him in the throat. He he's says, like, oh, he it says, doesn't Duke, have pineapple Duke, in it. Yeah, he says, Duke, don't don't play or mess with pineapple. I was like, so he's and he gives him the drink and whatnot. I was like, yeah, there's pineapple juice in it and blah blah blah. And I'm just kind of sitting there like, but then it just ends up being kind of. Do I don't like about this movie? It's mean spirited against murder mysteries, and I love murder mysteries, and it just is mean. It's mm. like. It, I don't know. Maybe this is like what Last Jedi fans, like Star Wars fans, felt about Last Jedi. Mm. Um, He's made the Last Jedi of murder <laughs> mysteries because, like, it's it, it feels like it's kind of like spitting in the uh, in the face of that tradition. But it's it's not. See, it would have been fine if like it wasn't so lazy. It I, feels so lazy. So to that and Netflixy to that point, I think. Ryan Johnson used politics and culture to illuminate people's characters in Knives Out. And it gave depth to the mystery because this is how this person feels about immigrants. So they might have something against Anna Armas's character. You know what I mean? So it added like it tightened the screws on the mystery. Especially even, and they're presented as being like a liberal, progressive, forward-thinking types of people. This movie seems like it's using a murder mystery plot to make some kind of comment about how tech bros are losers. Like tech, not only tech bros, like tech bros, influencers. Yeah, we know they're losers. Yeah. Even tech bros and influencers know they're losers. They just don't say it because they have to all jump off bridges. No, they don't say it because... It's, they have, they get money. Like, by not saying it. Logan Paul is making millions of dollars, presumably off of like CryptoZoo 
because of his fan base who expired to like be him and get mm-hmm. blowjobs from a Riley Reed. And, you know, like they realize it and they realize the gimmick, but they make money off of right. it. Right. So like they're playing a character and like they're not, I wouldn't call them losers, but like they're feeding off of losers. Sure. This Elon Musk knows what he's doing. Well, I don't. I'm not well, 100 sure Elon Musk knows what he's doing. Anymore. He's gonna he's make. Just, he's gonna end up in the positive after this. I guess bullshit. so. I mean, he's been hemorrhaging money, but again, I don't. We don't know anything about it, and he's. You know, maybe we know something about. It. I don't know, but that's not what we're here to discuss. It seems like a weird thing. It seems like a weird vehicle to like make that comment. And so the one interesting part of this movie to me was when, I guess there's two interesting parts, and they're not like they're related, but they're not like, um, together in the in the movie. They're not consecutive or anything like that. They're not sequences. When Benoit Blanc solves the original murder mystery that they're there to, they're, they're the game they're there to play in 10 seconds. That was awesome. Yeah. Because he's just like, fuck this shit. Like whatever. Anytime Benoit Blanc is not on screen, this movie is awful. And then anytime he is on screen, you're just kind of like, why can't you, there be something really interesting to solve here. When Janelle Monet's character got shot, at no point did I think she was dead. At any point. So, it's not a mystery. You know what I mean? It's, there was, there's no, like, mysteries here. I didn't care why, who killed, I didn't care who killed Duke. Who gives a shit that Duke no, is and dead? No, and that's the thing, I think, it, I think it's just meant to be, like, an affront to the mystery genre. But is it uh, so? That's the thing. But is it an affront to mystery genre, or is, is it meant to be like an affront to people like Duke, and being like, "See, nobody cares about you," and that's where I don't think Ryan Johnson has clearly stated, like, the purpose of 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 this of this film. Um, so it still ends up being not like the worst movie or like an unenjoyable time, but it's real close to being not, not a good time. Like at all, like the, when they're breaking the glass, like you knew something was going to happen to the Mona Lisa. That was so obvious Yeah. when they're breaking all the glass stuff. I'm just like, was the glass stuff no. here just to break? Cause the interrupters or whatever, but like also they're all wearing sandals. Like they don't have cut up feet. I mean, could you imagine that would have been badass if this movie's R rated just for like it cuts to their feet. But and there's just like pieces. Do you know of what flesh. I mean? It's like it's like these things seemed Ill, Ill, like ill, um, not well considered because it seemed like Ryan Johnson's eye was on the wrong thing the whole time. It seemed like he was too busy like winking at everything to make like a movie that felt as lived in and whole as the original Knives Out. It feels yeah. It feels like he's thinking of themes and moments before he's thinking about making a movie. And this is a little bit of the nope trap, right? Where it's like, I want to say X. You mean Best Picture nominee nope? Maybe. How do I get... It's only because I don't believe that some of the stuff that they're throwing in Best Picture is actually going to be nominated for Best Picture. Well, now that ever, But now that also everyone's like, nope, 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 nope. But that's what I'm saying. So I think it's, it's still not like super high on like Gold Derby's lists. It's in like the top 20. But I'm just like, that seems weird that you haven't moved it to like 12 yet. Doesn't matter. This seems like the Nope trap, where I rewatched Nope. I feel the same way about it. I like it. I respect it. It's not like my favorite Jordan. It's my third favorite Jordan Peele movie. Yep. Because it starts with, it started with an idea. It started with a theme. It started with an idea. And then he 
constructed a story and characters around that. Um, and that's that. Well, the problem with Nope is is the like they said the same problem with this is like the themes overwhelm the story. Like if a Nope had just been Jaws with a living spaceship, that's badass because the best thing about Nope is that scene where that woman's getting fucking consumed by the spaceship and like going you know kind of through the um, the sheets. Yeah. The, uh, the well, Wes Craven in New Nightmare scene while she's like looking at the semi-digested horse or like when it flies over later and you can hear the screams of the people. The blood, like the, the bloody discharge. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's the good stuff. That's, that's all like, it's all. It's all part of the same a thing. A continuation, 10% meal donuts alcohol, a uh, continuation of one idea, one mm-hmm. scene. Um, that's the same problem with this. Is like, is, is the fact that the mystery is is not important as much as how stupid Miles is. And Miles is very stupid. And you know Miles is... When he starts, like, the flash, when Benoit starts talking about, like, all his malapropisms, you're just like, yeah, we know. We all heard him. Like, they're not subtle. He's a fucking moron. Yeah, we get You it. know what I mean? Like, we understood, like, immediately that this guy sucks. What else do you got? And he, you know what he has? Nothing. Because he just keeps pounding it into the ground. Right. Speaking of pounding shit into the ground, Mario. Are we moving? And just, into it? do you have anything else to say about Glass Onion? No, it's... Glass Onion was kind of sad. Yeah, it's... There's not much to say about it. Which I think like, is I a wish, bummer. I kind of wish Andy had got here earlier, because I would have, like, forced him onto it to be like, why do you love this so much? Oh, he does love it? Yeah. We can talk about that. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But, um, I just... Because I think they think it's funny, and sure, it's funny. It's funnier, I guess, than Knives Out. I guess, out. is it, is it, it has, funnier it has, than Knives Out? It has better, like, on-the-nose jokes. It doesn't. Michael Shannon saying anything in Knives Out is better than anybody There's, saying anything in it's this. It's a different kind of humor, right? It's, it's the dry humor of Knives Out versus the kind of, like, Gen Z millennial humor of this. But, just, like, doesn't that stuff, like... Yeah, don't these people recognize that when but like, if Duke I, is if in I, the I, pool but, fire, and he fires his gun, he's like, I never go anywhere without my gun. And then when they're just like, when Duke's dead, he's like, he's missing his gun. It's like, come on. But like man. Ryan Johnson's also like, what, 43, 44? So it's an even older person than bodies, bodies, bodies humor, which like but, connects in a kind of millennial, it's, everyone says Gen Z humor, but it's not Gen Z, it's millennial humor. Yeah. But like, at least that's funny. Because it's true to its generation. But this is where I think Ryan Johnson is a little bit of trouble with this whole Knives Out Netflix thing. Is that it seems like there's... The presence of the algorithm is, is, is tangible in Knives Out. He's going to be forced it, to bring Anne Domus back. In, in Glass Night. Oh, I think that whole family's going and back. Henry Melling. You know what I mean? Well, and Henry Melling. As like... Oh, no, and, and young, Gen- Benoit Blanc, young Benoit Blanc. And Jenna Ortega. Sure. Jenna Ortega. Well, I, I, put, I would put fucking $20 down on the fact that Jenna Ortega is... Jenna Ortega nice. plays Anita Armas' younger sister. Yeah, that's probably... probably. Yeah. And she's trying to get some shit. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis just randomly an IRS agent in the next one. The idea that she might win an Oscar for that makes me she's want to throw up. She'll get nominated for that. Um, the algorithm is... The algorithm is present. And I think that he is kind of 
everyone's been kind of pro- making it seem like he's above that stuff. That he's like a uh, he's like an auteur. He's a filmmaker. He's not. He's clearly not because he is pushing very specific buttons that somebody. It's no, not somebody has asked him to push, but they suggested it would be cool if you push these buttons. Somebody made a good point on Reddit, which is rare, is the fact that like he made an auteur film to begin in Brick. Yeah. Like, like Brick's a solid auteur film. And since then, he's been reaching for that. Like the Brothers, not Bloom. the Brothers Grin, Brothers Bloom um, was definitely like that real sophomore slump. But then like Looper. It's, it's trying to do stuff, but it just doesn't get there. Well, there's a really interesting comparison that I thought... Last of. Jedi is fun, but doesn't get there. Last uh, Jedi is, is really good, but it's still a Star Wars movie. Yeah, it's still a Star Wars movie, but it's still, he's still like beholden to something. Knives Out, still beholden to something. Brick wasn't beholden to fucking anything. anything. Yeah, and he's been, I think, surpassed a little bit by... He's like a second class... Not second class. He's like a second tier or third tier auteur. So when, you know... He's not like... Yeah. He's making Looper, and Bong Joon-ho's making Snowpiercer. You know what I mean? Like, legit fucking, like, sci-fi. Well, Dave R. R. Mitchell starts out with It Follows and follows it up with fucking Under the Silver Lake, and then just goes like, I and guess like, I'm not going to make a movie for a while, right. because... But even, like, David, you know, Ryan Johnson makes Last Jedi, Denny Villeneuve makes Dune. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like these there are people here that are doing that are making IP and making like the same type of movie that are that are lapping him. Yeah. Do you know who's not doing much lapping? Tom? In the auteur field. Jack Gladney. Yeah. <laughs> but uh you know you know I thought was a real was a real auteur and real really knocked my socks off of? was uh Squid and the Whale. Yeah. Noah Baumbach. I like I like Marriage Story. I I still like Noah Baumbach. I wasn't a huge Marriage Story guy. It's a good movie, though. Good movie. And I was looking forward to this movie, despite reservations. Should have had those reservations be a little more. Mm. That's white, please. They don't look scared in the Crown Victoria. Yeah, they're laughing. These guys aren't laughing. Where? In the country square. What does it matter what they're doing in other cars? I want to know how scared I should be. Life is good, Jack. As long as the children are here, we're safe. May the days be endless. Let the seasons drift. Do not advance the action according to a plan. I watched this movie three different times. White Noise is an adaptation of the 1985 Don DeLillo book by the same name. It stars Adam Driver as Jack Gladney. It stars... Uh, Greta Gerwig as his fourth wife, Babette. Um, they live in Ohio. He teaches Hitler studies at a school that is referred to as the College on the Hill. Um, That's what it's called in the book. It's been yeah. like 10 years since I read this book. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but I think in 1985, there was like a more... Or the 80s, there was like a more... Um, 
the idea of like the, something private, something cloistered away that you'd never heard of, that like only like the the people in the town were like aware of. It was like a town in and of itself. Like the town was the college, um, you know, college town, whatever. Um, but I think he's doing something different here. Uh, this movie opens kind of the same way the book does as a kind of dis- uh, description example of what this family unit is like. So there's Denise. Slightly dysfunctional, but... I guess, but they kind of function... It's, they're, they're caricatures, not a, They're for not sure. a family. That's the whole thing, is that DeLillo didn't write people. He wrote just vessels for his thoughts Ideas, on, yeah. on the world. So there's Denise, and she's the older daughter, and she's Babette's oldest. Um, she's very worried about her mother. There's Heinrich, who is uh, Jack's oldest, and he has... He's kind of like a... Uh, like a more perfected version of Jack. He doesn't have Jack's anxieties about the world. He just is in, he's like information incarnate and he just delivers it. He knows he asks questions and he, but then he like knows that there's answers and he gets those answers. And if he doesn't have the answers, he just kind of like makes them up. But where Jack makes up the answers, he doesn't feel great about it. He's just doing it because of his, his, his like presence he's like feels he should have answers heinrich's like i don't care if i should i just have them and denise Here's is similar things that denise I is similar in terms of like the anxiety sure. being magnified from baba babette's kind of personality murray siskind is a is a fellow professor he's played here by don Cheadle with like no energy where murray siskind in the novel is like just a fucking live wire like an anxiety attack waiting to happen well no energy he's very cool here no energy would kind of be the tagline for this film no, no, it has energy. Just like not good or useful or like productive energy. Um, it's energy's reduced to an LCD sound system song, which is a banger. It's a bop. If you like LCD sound system, it sure is. Um, the second half of the, the, the this movie's in the three acts. The, the second act is justifies, I think, the, the first and third act, which is the airborne toxic event. Uh, which, I am happy they don't focus as heavily completely and totally on the airborne toxic event that I expected they might have. So I think they, they I think they did too much. Because the airborne they toxic do, event... They do, but it's the, not as much as they thought they No, would but do. it's a real thing. So they show it happen, which I think I I almost threw up when they were like showing like how the airborne toxic event happened. I was like, oh my God, I can't even I can't even fucking handle this. But then when they like show like lightning in the sky of the airborne toxic event, I was like, give me a fucking break. So they've reduced like a metaphor like or a vehicle for, like I mentioned with Heinrich, but like for asking Steven questions. Spielberg's and War of the World. Give me a fucking break, man. What the hell? <laughs> um, and then in the third, and then Bill Camp just out of nowhere just decides to like be mad at the television. You and know usually, I mean? like, re-like Bill Camp. I do, and he was, I thought that he delivered his lines okay, but it's like, why is he delivering these lines? What is happening? Doesn't matter. In the third act, Bobette reveals that she's been sleeping with this guy to give her this pill called Dilar, which makes her not fear death. No. Makes her fear death? Makes her not fear death. It makes her, like, just deal with death. Or... And But it's not working. It's just making her lose her memory. And so Jack... Wants to go kill that guy. Which happens in the book to an extent. Does. Right? But it happens exactly like it does, except Babette's not in it. Yeah, yeah, no, she's not on the scene. But I remember his focus on wanting to shoot the guy being more focused on the infidelity. 
but it being like a masculinity thing. It's about the book. it's exactly exactly it's about himself and what is the fact that all of this is happening movie, mean about him? The book, the book is more about masculinity than any a lot a lot of it because well, when it's from that Jack perspective, I would argue that it's, the only reason it's not about masculinity is because it's about. The idea that Jack feels he should be more be masculine. Cosmopolis. No, no, I think it's it's. I think I'm just I'm putting like I'm putting a qualifier on it. It's not the idea that like Jack is masculine. It's that Jack is thinking about what it means for to him as a man that his yeah. wife had sex with this guy, and um, in the movie, I think Adam Driver's. Sometimes pretty good at delivering that idea. Like, I, no, I agree. I think he's like, pretty like, good. I think that one scene where she's admitting the infidelity, like he's doing a good job with it. Where he says, "Like we're not talking about Doc, Mr. Gray as the collective." He's like, "Speaking of genitals, like how many genitals are we talking about?" Right. Like, that's funny. Yeah, I think more the thing. I think he's the one person in this movie that gets it. That gets what's supposed to happen. Like everybody in Inherent Vice got what Pynchon was doing. Um, except without the humor, because it's still PTA, and so PTA is he's p- way past. Like, if PTA made Inherent Vice after Boogie Nights, it would have been much funnier. But he had moved past that too far, so it's just broadly funny instead of being actually funny, like a pinch on book. You know what I mean? Um, but this, he doesn't seem to. I don't. I don't think he gets white noise. I don't think he gets it. I think, like we had Bob talked Mac. about this off air. Bombak, yeah. Our, no, it's just it's just him. I thought for some reason he co-wrote with Gerwig. I, we talked a little bit about this off air. I think he, in the rest of the, the culture, film criticism, podcasters, everybody, think this movie is about an airborne toxic event. I think they think it's about a family. I think they think it's about an infidelity. It isn't about any of those things. It's about a guy in 1985, very specifically in the 80s, saying, this is what the culture is like. And I'm gonna die. How do those two things? How do those two things match? There's people that will never die. Hitler, Elvis, you know, all these, all the people that talk. You're saying the movie is saying this, or that's what the book is saying. That's what the book is about. Yeah, it's about the idea of myth and dying, and how does this guy create a myth for himself? Does that mean he lives forever? What does that mean? What is the, like the supermarket in this is just like, oh, it's a place to go where people see things and like everybody goes here. But it's not about that. It's about the idea that like everything is packaged in a way that it never rots. And the branding is is forever too. Exactly. And the branding is myth. This movie is not about any of those things. So what is it about? So Why the, does it exist? So this is my, my, my thing about this movie is, is, is it's the Noah Baumbach problem and the fact that Noah Baumbach is making the same movie over and over again. He is making a movie about a 20 or 30 something year old coming to terms with like the cascade of middle age. Oh, God. And it's what it is. Squid the Whale was this. Greenberg was this. White Noise is this. You know, I, he was he Francis Ha or was that? Yeah. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Long time listener, Andy's in the corner. Uh, but he's got done scathing glass onions, so I'm sure you're not happy about that. Uh, um, but it is it is that again because like the the big focal point of this is when they mentioned like oh I'm in my 40s or whatnot you're saying like I'll be in my 30s if I'm supposed to outlive this thing it's once again just like this midlife crisis movie which fucking this dude's done for 20 years yes well that's but that's the thing he's 
So he's inserting his own kind of like literally no Bombeck's life is a midlife crisis. He right. left yeah. like Jennifer Jason Lee to be. I mean, I'm maybe overstepping. I'm not making an assumption here, allegedly. But the Didn't Greta Gerwig, yeah, he left. He made Jennifer a whole movie about it. <laughs> yeah, but like it is, it is, and it's just like, dude, fucking get over it. I'm basically middle aged, and I'm kind of like looking at going like. I haven't even hit my midlife crisis yet, and even I'm bored of midlife crisis. Oh my god! This yeah, this 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 movie is. Um, I don't it know. Just fails I, on every uh, level except for a real bop of an LCD sound system. Well, song. It's just I think again, I think it's such a good song. I think Adam Driver's. I've listened think, to that song a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers! This you're movie's like, going I, to get a nomination. You're like, me. I'd love to just talk about this song. I do. If we could have the last twenty minutes talking about great. that one that song. song that is my favorite LCD sound. My favorite thing about that song, and it's not the song because I dislike LCD sound system, is when we were watching it, my wife was like, so wait, do all the professors use generic products? And I was like, I think it's just a song. I don't think this has anything to do with anything. And she's like, so wait, why does why did Don Cheadle have generic products? And I was like, because in the book, he has lots of things to say about products and brands and why he buys generic. But in this, he just has a basket full of white shit. You're not an American Dream guy? Like, American Dreams are really good out. I think LCD sound system is just terrible. Disagree about lots of things. It's going to win Best Original Song. Spoilers. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. No, it's going to win my Best Original Song. Oh. Spoilers. Probably. That's fine. Songs I might. No, um, no, but I agree. Like every like like the the additions to this movie because the river thing is is new, right? Yeah, and the river thing I guess is cool, except for the fact I that just don't who why. gives a shit. Yeah, a lot of this is just like a why. Well, I just I so there's a bunch of like if you're gonna be, hmm. you know what I, you, I will say this. You know what I hate about this movie. <laughs> That's usually After. not what you say. Like I will say this. It's usually like, you know what I do like well, about it? I just talked about how much I like LCD sounds. Okay. The thing I really hate about this film, though, and it's especially apparent <laughs> when Greta Gerwig or um, Don Cheadle are on screen, is how much of this feels like a, a first read-through of a play. You know, you know, like, every community theater does that weekend where they'll do one-act plays of local playwrights. Yes, I do. This movie feels like one of those. It feels like Noah Bombeck submitted his play to a community theater of okay actors. Like, usually, if they were doing a performance of Our Town, they would do a passable job, and people would talk positively about it. But they had, like, three weeks to rehearse this. Yeah. And they don't really understand what the intent was, because Mm -hmm. they... Some personal shit this writer nobody knows about is going through. Yep. And the line reading of this just feels like a goddamn first read through of a play. Uh, yeah, you're like you are. Nobody feels it. like they're responding to what the last person said. It's just like it looks like I'm waiting but, for my mark. But waiting for my mark, Mario. That is what happens in the book. But the way but that Delillo but, delivers it on the page has a rhythm to it and then what you the, well, the we, effect is not character but but um of so to go back to all quiet on the western front it's a visceral feeling of the the uh, like the what's the fucking word where like I mean, there's guess, no guess, hope there's uh, 
the banality. Yeah, and, you know what I mean? Where, like, well, that's what I was going to say, because like, similar to All Quiet on the Western Front, like the book to me is like, yeah, it's that. It's very robotic, but it's kind of the banality, the the hopelessness, the nothingness, the, so, um, the this is existential the, yes. aspect of it all versus this feeling like it's just like, Adam Driver, stop talking, my line's next. So here's a thing that I would say that I think ties this episode you know, together the one who perfectly. feels like he does it? Actually feels like he's doing it well besides Adam Driver sometimes. Andre Benjamin sometimes feels like he understood the assignment. I guess he's too he's still too Andre Benjamin. And it seems like he's like miscast because he's just Andre Benjamin. Yeah, sorry. I listened to a podcast about White Noise and they were like spent five minutes complimenting him his dancing in like the L C D sound system thing. And I was oh, like, I didn't You guys are do, you guys are doing this wrong. You're no, doing just, it wrong. I'm just thinking the teacher's on scenes where it just feels like he's the one person actually responding off of somebody. Well, it seems like he's, it's, it does seem a little bit like he gets the um, uh, detachment of it all where he's just kind of like he, not he, paying Driver attention. Felt just, like they actually read the book and then we're like, okay, this might tomorrow, be what is supposed to happen. The scene that everybody keeps talking about is when like they're doing the dueling lectures. That is one of the worst scenes put the film What the year. fuck is going on? What is going on? That is not what happens in the. That is not what happens in the book. What I wanted to say about this versus All Quiet on the Western Front. Eric Berger read All Quiet on the Western Front. Something in that book spoke to him, and he adapted the book to reflect whatever it was inside that book that like moved him, or made him think about something. More. Something. Yeah. No, Bobak didn't do anything. He literally like literalized. A book that is highly metaphorical. He made the metaphors literal things. And it was just like, awesome. I did it. Yeah, that's the <clears throat> that's the bummer. It's because like Cosmopolis, I think, fails. But Cronenberg's at least trying to ex- Does it fail? But it does because I don't think it's still hitting what Delillo is doing in. I don't know. I think it's got, I think it casts Pattinson in the exact right period of his existence. I do. I think so too. But Where I, he I, can't I, I think, act yet. I think it just hits. I just don't think it hits the marks that the book does. Right? Like, yeah. I I don't love Cosmopolis, but I think it does a better job than this. But it's trying to honor the book and trying to be to the tone of the book. This well, the Cronenberg gets what the book is about. Yeah, but also he like respects like the themes of the book and. Burger with uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, even though he completely like kind of ships it on its head and changes its ending and everything, respects what is the book's intent is. Uh-huh. It's making the same message, but modernizing it. No, Bombeck just wanted fucking white noise for his own little... <clears throat> I'm having a midlife crisis at the age of, I think, like 55. Yeah, maybe? he needs to calm down. 53, sorry. But the thing, look at Inherent Vice also. This photo of Noah Bombeck is just a man constantly living. Look at this fucking, look at this fucking photo. I'm so sad. Fuck yourself, Noah Bombeck. Um, Can we we be done with Bombeck? No. He's going to do a follow-up. Can we just be done with him? He's going to adapt something that I like. You know who, like, you know who is... He's going to get blood dirty in her. He's going to get, he's going to get Sutra. If he you gets f- shut the fuck up, he won't get blood now. in. But if he gets Sutra, you son of a bitch, I'm gonna beat the shit out of Noah. Bomb. I'm gonna find Noah Bomb back. Did you listen to Scott Cooper's WTF? I did not. I don't he said to he's been asked to adapt Sanctuary, the Faulkner novel. Yeah, and I was did, just like, did he say no? 
No, he's like working on it because apparently his he dad. Really do it. But he's just not like he's not he's a too... nuanced enough director to adapt like Falcon. Sanctuary is gonna be hard because like all Falcons, all it's too that's, interior. It's just so much like racism. Mario, we can now spend the next hour talking about like what these directors should not adapt. If you want to do it, I'm open. I mean, we're adapting. We got stuff. We're to adapting do. Dante Club. We are. We're in with Edgar Allan Poe. And, you know, existential midlife. Trend. Remember when the Dante Club came out? I do. I, I was a big Matthew Pearl. I have a, I saw Matthew Pearl at, um, what's, what's that, Raul's books or whatever? Uh, RJ, RJ Julius' RJ books. Julius, yeah. I, I saw, I saw Raul's a reading of him. books. <laughs> Raul Julius' bookstore. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> a signed copy of The Technologist, which isn't a very good book from him. Remember when it was like the Da Vinci Code, and then everyone was like, "We gotta get more of this." And then the Dante Club came out. Dante Club was like, a better book than the Da Vinci Code. I was working at a bookstore when that came out, and people were not interested. Really, Dante yes. Club's so much better. Not interested. Dante Club's so much better. But it's it's an actual book. Matthew Pearl is an actual writer. Yeah, it's it's he's like he's like a timeline. Mario, his generation, Michael Crichton. Mario, his chapters were more than like a half a page. People can't handle that. I know. I work in a library. <laughs> they cannot handle that. I do appreciate the a writer <laughs> making. I mean, what was the book that I just read that you gave? Let me borrow. Those were like three page chapters. Which one? The um, like I'll give you back the one because I just finished it, the short story one. But no, the uh, one with you didn't give it to me. I bought it, but you suggested it. Story, not story of X. The couple being haunted in the house. The grip of it. The grip of it. Yeah. Those are like two page. Those, but those. But that's different. It's different yeah. than the. <laughs> that's a really. That's a really good fucking book. I love that book. Um, I like to see that movie made. Not by Noah Bombay. No, but I bet he's. But that's perfect, Mario, because he's, he's the exact it. kind of guy that would make that thing, right? Because with, it's, with it's a, Adam it's like Driver a, and Greta Gerwig. Well, because it's like a thirty-year-old. By the way, really quickly before we get, before we lose the plot and like end this podcast, Greta Gerwig's fucking awful, right? I mean, I didn't really want to like. Just end no, because I, I usually like she's bad. I usually, I mean, I, I, I've spoken very highly about Greta Gerwig in this podcast before I've multiple times. Said to my wife, Greta Gerwig won my best director. Yeah, for she, Little Women, she was not my number one. She's my number two. Yeah, she's still great. Loved it, but she just she's you know she just misses. You know why she's bad? She about, misses. No way she was she's just miscast because she doesn't want to do it. No, I think she does. I think she does want to do she, it, but I don't. I don't think they get Bobette. And this sounds very Jack talking about, like, that is not what Bobette is. Whatever Greta Gerwig is doing is not what Bobette is. I mean, to be is. fair, Don DeLillo talking about what a woman should be. It's kind of a Don DeLillo. But that's the thing. It's not a, she's not a woman. She's an idea. Oh, yeah. She's an idea of she's what a an, woman is she's for Don whatever, yeah. but She's whatever Jack perceives her to be, which helps him frame his existence. That's, well, that's, but that's, that's what that's, it is. That's why, like, that one scene is, is that's like, the, that's like, one of the two good scenes in this movie are the scene, like the dream sequence where like the, the fucking the sheet goes over his face mm. and the scene where she's admitting her infidelity. But that like, Bobette that's... confides and blah, blah, blah. Right, but that scene only matters if at the beginning of the movie she is like she is in the book, which is like this really solid, stable person who like whose physical presence projects solidity and Greta Gerwig does not. They're just like, oh, she's got great hair. It's not just the hair. Her whole well, presence is a, she's a fucking brick. Everything, but in the book, in the movie, she's just Greta Gerwig with really curly hair. And everything about this movie doesn't work when Rafi Cassidy feels like she's not 
a daughter of anybody. Rivia Cassidy doesn't even seem like she belongs in this movie. And that's not saying she's not good because she is very good. But she's, she's just too feels, good. She feels like she is and not Heinrich is a too family old. Member. Yeah. Like I know he's supposed to be 13, but they cast like a 17-year-old guy. You need to cast like a really old-looking 10-year-old to play Heinrich. Get Bruce from Matilda. Yes. Yes. Get anybody from Matilda. Get Stephen. No, Stephen Grimm. Just like, but like digitally shrunk like in Bardo. Absolutely. Remember when he was like shrinks down to talk to his dad? I I try not to remember Bardo. Oh, man. Bardo is so bad. I finished it. It was not good. I didn't. It did not make me happy. I don't remember finish that movie. It did not make me happy. The movie should have made made my worst list. I don't think this would make my worst list. Because it's so, like, fine, but You know what should have made my worst list, but I forgot existed, Mario? What's that? The Crimes of Dumbledore. The Fantastic Bees movie. I I saw the first one. I totally forgot it existed. That's how bad it was. So it's probably, like, my number one. It's my Even worse than Dominion? I like because I think it suffers from the same things, but it, it's 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 a lot worse, yeah. Okay, but it's 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 as crass and gross as Dominion. Well, speaking about worse, Tom, the next episode's the other the other the side opposite. of the coin. It is. We are going to have to dust off the tuxedos, get the uh, the pushbacks, those non-electing you know, of the old school plastic pushbacks. Is that what you want to use? You don't want to use the Roomba army. No, I'm gonna use the pushbacks. Okay, because we gotta clean out the William Howard Taft Memorial Auditorium for the fifth annual, the fifth one we're doing. Doesn't it feel like it's been like so long since we did one of these? But it's also crazy we're doing this for four years. Four, no, four. Is this is our fifth one. Yeah, fifth one. Yeah, it's so four, four and a half years. years. Yeah, we started years. in July. Speaking of which, look what I found: a movie ticket for the very first film we ever. It's the last black man in San Francisco. Oh. I was cleaning out my thing. This is the first thing. This is right. This is in the middle. The first movie, the first new movie we reviewed on the podcast was "Sorry to Bother You." Right, mixed up. Also, I mixed up "Last Black Man in San Francisco" and "Sorry to Bother good You." Good, mo- but this was a good episode. It was. I also feel racist now. <laughs> <laughs>
But I just don't want to go to the movies anymore. I'm so tired of going to the movies. I know. What the fuck, man? Why are, why are they just releasing stuff? I don't want to go see Babylon. Babylon's not making any money. Why isn't that not on Paramount Plus? I, I, I'm hoping like tomorrow it's going to be a view. What the hell? If, if you, Damien Chazelle, if you release Babel on VOD tomorrow, I'll rent it. I'll give you 40 bucks and rent it twice. I'm not, that's a lie. I'll rent it once, but I will immediately give you $20. We will give you $20. Me and Mario will do it. Yeah. I'll do it. I don't even care. I'll do it first. I'll, I, I'm claiming I'll, I'll rent it. Fuck you. I'm, do- <laughs> I'm doing it. There might, we might accidentally both rent it. <laughs> It'd be good. And that is more money than you would have ever gotten from me because I have Cinemark Club, so you would have only got you $10. And my month. wife would never go with me, so I was only ever going to spend $9 on a matinee to see this movie. Yeah. But we'll spend 20 bucks to see a movie. I think a lot of people would spend 20 bucks to see this movie if they don't have to go. It's so long. Yeah. And I, I just want to see the end. I don't want to, I just want to see three parts. I mean, I want to see the, I want to see like the first hour of craziness and I want to see the ending that people hate. Because I, I know it and I know what it ends on. Well, I don't want to see the end end. I want to see like the end before the end. Well, I want to see, I want to see how it gets there. I want to see, I yeah. want to see. Because I've just read the reviews of people being so mad about it and being like, I probably will not be mad. I want to see the Tobey Maguire end. I'm not so interested in like the 10 years later end. Oh, that's not the part I'm talking about. Which part are you talking about? The actual end end. Like Like the the last thing that's shown. The cave? Or no, you're talking about the... The major blockbuster success right now end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that it ends on that? No, I'm like like less interested in that because that seems like he's he's already done that. He did that in La La Land. But just like not with like movies. Yeah. But like the montage ending. The American in Paris bullshit, yeah. <laughs> just pull the Mario. Um. But yeah, next week <laughs> is, is, is the episode where hopefully we don't have to record it twice. Why would we have to record it twice? Because I, I will just, it's going to be a Miller High Life episode. It is going to be a Miller fucking High Life episode. going to be drinking Miller High Life. Because you know what I've noticed is that the last two, by the time we get the two parters, by the time we get to the top ten, you and me are so sleepy. Yeah. If we're drinking Miller High Life throughout the entire thing, we'll be fine. It's the Self high five. best of 2022. The champagne of beers. So, you guys have a week to watch every single film that came out in 2022. Get your, get your predictions in. Yeah. To our non-existent Twitter account. Yeah, you can, you can send it you. to us. Pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can, or you can and... follow at Two Headed Trivia and send your predictions there. there. You go. If you do, don't do that. Are you guys on Twitter? No, we're on just Instagram. Instagram yeah. um, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and there's a, mess- a place to message us there. Or you can see a list of the beers that we drank when we were doing our list or the movies that were on our top 100 uh, film list. I haven't like added stuff because I want the project to stay intact. You know what I mean? This is like, this feels like the podcast, like official. Where the project was the project. Yeah. We're not doing the project anymore. Well, we're going to start our project after the 2020. But like, it'll after be, that, we're going to get back into the science. It'll be a different project. Yeah. It'll but like the really top fun. 100 yeah. project was like its own thing. I feel anyway. Yeah. That's how I feel. Um, but yeah, watch all the movies. Drink, Drink some highlights. Or um, Neil's Donuts. That was a good, that was a good ass beer. Just, you enjoy it? Oh, he's enjoying it. Just very enjoy heavy. It. it is super heavy. It sits right inside of you. 10,000 Like a couple of donuts. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk to you next week. 
with our huge live audience. And Laura's casting? Is he going to be there? Is he no, dead? No, he's, he's dead. But he's just not, we don't have it anymore. No, we lost it. COVID. That happens to the best of us. 